Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, would you take them out? Would you turn to the book of Exodus? Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Last week we read about um, God's self-revelation to Moses after uh, he had called Moses to return to Egypt. Remember, he called Moses to return to Egypt to confront Pharaoh to lead Israel out of slavery. And at first, remember, uh, Moses had replied to God by saying, who am I? Uh, I'm not qualified to do that. Who am I to do that, Lord? And God had responded to Moses, remember, by saying, but I'll be with you. Don't worry about who you are. I am. And so I will be with you. And so then Moses asked, and this is what we talked about last week, okay, well then, who are you? Who shall I say has sent me? And it was then that God revealed himself to Moses. This was in chapter 3. He revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh, the God, uh, which is Hebrew for I am. Am. Remember, he said, I am who I am. So he revealed himself to Moses as the I am. And God chose this name to communicate to Moses, but not only Moses, uh, but to, to all of us, because he said, this is my name forever. Um, so he chose this name to communicate that he is, that God is Uh, The eternally existent God, transcendent from all of creation, he alone is the Almighty. Can you say amen? He alone is the Almighty. He is the sovereign Lord with absolute power and with ultimate authority. And so uh, it is this God, the I Am He is the one who called Moses and said to Moses, Moses, it's not about who you are. I will be with you. I am the Lord over all. I am the transcendent God, and I will be with you. Moreover, remember we talked about this briefly. He promised to Moses that he he would lead Israel uh, out of their affliction. He said, "My, my hand is already released. I'm going to go, and I'm going to deliver Israel out of Egypt and bring them to a land that flows with milk and honey. He said, I will uh, bring Israel out of their affliction. And he promised that the people of Israel would listen to Moses. He he said, they will listen to you, Moses. How did God know that they were going to listen to Moses? Because God said, I'm going to make sure that they listen uh, to you. He said it would not be easy because Pharaoh was going to oppose them. But God said, remember, I will stretch out my hand against Egypt and I will give this people, I will give Israel favor. And they will come out and they will plunder the Egyptians and I will lead you to a land that flows with milk and honey. How many knows that's, those are good promises? Amen. He's a good God. And so the question this uh, morning is with God on his side... And with that God, the great I am, on his side, with all of those assurances that Moses had received from God, how could Moses not answer God's call? I mean, how could Moses say no? Uh, Is it even possible after God had revealed himself as the great I am 
and made those promises to Moses. How could Moses not answer God's call? And yet, and yet, Moses did resist the call of God. Moses did resist the will of God. Let's look at Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said uh, to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put, out your, put your hand inside your cloak. And so he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Verse number 10, but Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Verse 14, and then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God, as God to him. Verse 17, and, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that, Lord, over these next few minutes, God, that you would watch over your word to perform your will this morning. God, anoint me to preach, and Lord, enable us all to hear. But God, we don't want to be hearers of the word only. So overcome, God, our reluctance, and God, grant us the faith that we need to believe and to obey. In the name of Jesus Christ, who gives us the grace that we need, we ask it, amen and amen. Now, you would think this morning that after this dramatic encounter with God uh, that we read about last week, and the week before that actually too, you would think that after this dramatic encounter with God, Moses would be ready to return to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and to lead the people of Israel out of bondage. You would think that after that experience, he would be <laughs> excited, energized, ready to go. He has, he has seen 
God's glory. He has heard God's voice. He has learned God's name. He has received God's promise. Uh, however, Moses remains reluctant to do what God is, is calling him to do. In fact, in this section, Moses objects three times to God's purpose. Three times he object, objects to God's calling. Finally, it seems straining God's patience with him. Uh, but we'll, we'll look at that in, in just a moment. First, I think that this morning it's important to point out that we should not assume, we should not assume that an encounter with God is the same thing as obeying God. Just because you have an encounter with God does not mean that you're obeying God. That's what we learn from the example of Moses here. Experiencing God's presence is, is a wonderful thing, but how many knows it's not the same thing as obeying his commands. Moses had encountered God's presence. Moses had experienced God's presence. He had seen his glory. He had heard his voice. He had learned his name. He had heard his call. He had received his promises. All of that he had received from God, and yet Moses still remains reluctant to obey the word of God. In fact, Moses provides us with an example of how it's possible for a, a person to see the glory of God, to hear his voice, to understand the truth about God, to know about God, to know the will of God, and yet fail to do the will of God. Moses does uh, eventually obey God. However, the Bible says that many will not. That many will encounter God, many will experience God's power and his presence, and they will choose not to obey God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, probably familiar to, her, to you. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, God says, Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice, those that have, these that have been banished from the eternal presence of God have experienced God's power and God's presence in their life. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's amazing. It's, it's actually sobering that it's possible that you can experience God's presence and know his power and know his name and understand his will and yet refuse to do God's will and be banished from God's presence. These individuals have prophesied, they've cast out demons, they've done mighty, many mighty works in the name of the Lord, but what they have not done is they have not done the will of God. And therefore, they are turned away from God's presence. Moses, um, Moses in this instance, was in jeopardy of joining those many people who will, who will say, I've seen your glory. 
I've heard your voice. I've experienced your power. I know your name. I understand your, your will. I've heard your call, but they will be turned away from heaven because they have failed to obey the will of God. For us this morning, we should, we should take this warning to heart and we should cultivate lives of sincere obedience to God rather than just showy appearances. We should cultivate lives of obedience to Christ. In fact, Jesus once told a parable that can help us understand the difference uh, between the two. He told this story in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Jesus said, what do you think? He said, a man had two sons, and he went to the first one, and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. So Jesus says, which of these two, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You see, the difference between a, a person who has encountered the Father and does his will and the person who has encountered the Father but does not do his will, the difference between the two is a changed mind. A changed mind. The first son said, no, I'm not going to do your will. But then he was convicted and he changed his mind and he went and he did the will of the Father. You see, the difference has nothing to do with anything observable about their experience. In fact, we learn from this parable that, that what we see in a person's life is that it can be deceiving, right? It can be deceiving. What matters what matters is what effect that experience has on the choices that that person makes after the fact. The experience is not what matters. What matters is the effect that the experience has on the person who has the experience. Y'all with me this morning? The difference, the difference is whether or not that encounter that you have makes any noticeable difference in the choices that you make, the decisions that you make, the way that you live uh, your life. In fact, Paul says it this way. Paul says essentially the same thing, but he says it this way. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What matters is a new creation, a changed heart. A changed mind, a changed life. Now, Paul would never say that circumcision, which was the sign of God's covenant with the nation of Israel, Paul would never say that uh, circumcision was unimportant. What Paul is saying is that it's not the external visible sign that is, is, is as important as the internal 
invisible work that has been accomplished in a person's life. In other words, it's, it's not the outward appearance that matters. It's not the experience that matters. It's not the, uh, the trappings of the encounter that, that matter. What, happen, what matters is the effect that it has on a person's life, whether they change their mind, whether, they change, whether their heart is changed, whether their, their spirit is changed, whether there's any difference after the fact. And an experience with God... No matter how dramatic, no matter how intense, no matter how intimate, no matter how spiritual, an experience is no substitute for obedience to God. Amen? An experience, in fact, it, it may have been Leonard Ravenhill that said, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument about God. And that's true. That's true as, as far as it goes. But here's what I want to I say to you this morning, we have to insist, we must insist that it goes further than, than just that. Because an experience with God can impart new information about God, but unless that experience facilitates the transformation of our hearts, of our mind, of our will, how many knows it remains just that, it remains just an experience with God. And it doesn't matter. What matters is a changed mind. What matters is a changed heart. What matters is a change, changed life. What matters is the change. Amen? And, and at least here, Moses seems unconvinced that he can change. Moses seems unconvinced that he can, that he can actually change. In fact, all three of his objections are related to his inability to imagine that he is capable of doing what God has called him to do. He says, they won't believe me. I'll go to them, I'll speak, but, but they're not going to believe me. They're, they're not going to listen to my voice. He says, second of all, I'm not, I'm not eloquent enough. I won't be able to persuade them. They're not going to listen to me because I'm not persuasive and I'm slow of speech. I'm not... Uh, I'm not eloquent enough. And then finally he says, please, just why don't you send someone else? Don't, don't send me. You see, rather than, this is key, rather than estimating his success on the limitless resources of the almighty, all-sufficient, eternal God, Yahweh, that's what God had showed himself to Moses, said, hey, I'm the all-sufficient God, I'm the all-powerful God. I'll be with you. But Moses, rather than estimating his success based on the resources that were available through God, instead, Moses chooses to focus on himself. And so he concludes, mm, not me. I'm not, I'm not the one. Not me. Not then. I couldn't do it then. Remember, he had already failed miserably to do it once before. So I failed before, not then, not now, not ever. I'm not capable of being able to, to do what God has called me to do. Moses was reluctant to obey God because he judged the potential for his future success on the circumstances of his past failure. I failed before. I've demonstrated that I'm, I'm not capable. I'm not able to do it. Therefore, I have no expectation 
that I'll be able to succeed in the future. I tried and I failed. If I return, they won't believe me. If I go back, I can't persuade them. I'm not eloquent enough. Send somebody else, not, not me. And remarkably, Moses is, um, Moses is unpersuaded by the revelation of God's glory because he is convinced that he remains unchanged. I'm the same person that failed in the past, and so I'll fail in the future if, if I go back. In fact, this is, this is especially seen in his second objection that he makes to the Lord. When the Lord tells him to go, he says, I'll be with you. And he says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. And notice, notice how he put that. He said, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. What is Moses saying? He's saying, I'm the same person I was back then. I'm, I've failed then and I'll fail again if I go back. But I'm, because I'm slow of speech and slow of tongues. In other, tongue. In other words, Moses is saying, God, I haven't changed. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same person. Even since you have appeared to me, I'm the same stuttering Moses that failed in his earlier attempt to lead your people out of bondage. I'll fail again if I go to Egypt. Please find someone else. And it's important to emphasize here at this point, now listen, at this point Moses' low opinion of himself has more influence on his choices than his high opinion of God. Do you see that? Moses' opinion of himself has more influence over his choices than the vision of God that he had, that he had already received. In other words, um, his experience hadn't necessarily changed his opinion of himself. Um, that will become more apparent to us as, you, as you'll see in a, few, in a few minutes. But right now, at least through his first two objections, Moses, remember, he knows who God is. He, know, he has seen his glory. <laughs> he has heard his voice. He knows his name. He knows that he is Yahweh, the all-sufficient God, the, ever, the eternally existent God, the almighty Lord of over all of creation. So Moses knows who God is. He has had an experience in God's presence that has revealed the beauty, the power, the authority of God's name. And yet, Moses is unwilling to obey God because he considers himself to be incapable because of his previous failure. His experience with God hasn't changed Moses. His low opinion of himself is more important than his high opinion of God. Now, I stress that this morning because that might sound like humility, but I'm here to tell you this morning that's actually a subtle form of pride because it causes us to think more about ourselves than we think about God. It, focuses us, uh, it forces us to focus on ourselves rather than to focus on God. It causes us 
to consider our failings, our insufficiency, rather than considering God's sufficiency. And that's, well, that's why God eventually gets angry with Moses, but although not for the reasons we might assume. I'm coming to that in just a second. But that's the reason that God eventually gets angry with Moses. But before he gets angry with Moses, let me point this out this morning. Before he gets angry with Moses, God demonstrates great patience with Moses. Moses objects, and he says, God, you know, not me. Uh, they won't listen to me. They won't, they won't believe me. And so God says, what's in your hand? He says, a staff. He said, I'll tell you what, throw the staff down. He throws, you know the story. He throws the staff down. It becomes a snake. He said, now pick it up. He picks it up, and it becomes a, uh, a staff again. He said, if they don't believe you, then show them that, and maybe they'll be convinced that I've sent you. And if they don't believe that, Moses, stick your hand in your coat. And he sticks his hand in his coat. He said, now pull it out, and his hand's leprous. He says, now put your hand back in your coat. He puts it in his coat. He said, pull it back out, and it's clean. He says, so if they don't believe the first sign that I gave you, do the second sign, and they'll believe that I have sent you. And Moses, if they don't believe either of those two, take a cup of water, pour it on the ground, and the water will turn to blood. So God gives Moses three signs that he can use to validate the fact that he is saying, I'm coming in the authority of the great I am. So God demonstrates great patience here uh, with Moses. And then when he, he objects again, he says, but God, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. I stutter. I'm, we don't know if that means that he stuttered or that he just you know, stumbled over his words or whatever. Um, he said, I'm not very eloquent. I'll not be able to persuade anybody. So God says, Moses, listen, I created your mouth. <laughs> and remember, I'm the great I am. I'm Yahweh. And so nothing's impossible for me. And so I'm going to be with your mouth. I'll anoint you. I'll teach you what to say. I'll put the words in your mouth. And so with every excuse that Moses gives, God is saying, no, Moses, you're not understanding. It's not about you. It's about me. I'll be with you. I'll empower you. I'm going to help you. It's not about your capabilities. It's about my power and my ability in your life. So God is remarkably patient uh, with Moses here. So with these signs, God reinforces what he had already said to Moses, what he had already promised to Moses. I'll be with you. You don't have to do this in your own power. I know that you are not able to do that, do this. That's why I'm going with you, and I will supernaturally compensate for your natural limitations. Aren't you glad that we have that kind of God who says, I will supernaturally compensate for your natural limitations? Because it's not about who you are, Moses. It's about who I am. So God is patient and, and God is kind. And I'm thankful that we serve a, a God who is patient and kind. And that he doesn't, he never gives up on us. Can you say amen? He never gives up on us. He's saying to Moses, your past failures, your, your present condition does not have to determine your future. My power will be with you, and I will help you to do what I have called you to do. So God reassures him that he will be with him. And yet Moses objects a third time. And in fact, this time it's actually like a refusal. God, please, just find somebody else. Why don't you just find somebody else? And that's when God gets angry. 
That's when God gets angry. And his anger is, his anger is not so much that Moses continues uh, to object. How many knows that's human? That would be human for us to do that, right? Somebody continues to object. We finally will say, listen to, to me. It, God's, God's not human in that way. So his anger is not, is not a human kind of anger. Rather, God's anger reflects that there's something in Moses' refusal that has offended the grace of God, that has offended God's grace. In fact, Moses is no longer objecting to God's will based on, now listen, Moses is no longer um, objecting to God's will based on what he perceives his own limitations to be, but now he is rejecting God's will based on what he presumes to be the best thing to do. Do you see how that has shifted now? Moses is no longer saying, well, I'm not able. I'm not able. I can't do this. Lord, what about, you know. Now Moses is saying, no. I know what's best, God. And you need to find somebody else. So he is, he is rejecting God based on what he presumes to be best. In a way, in a way he is saying to God, I, no, I think I know what is best. No, I think I know. What's best for my life? No, I think I know, God, what is the best use for my life. No, I, God, I, I think I know what you ought to do. And what you ought to do, God, is you need to find somebody else. But can you imagine telling God what you think is best? <laughs> can you imagine saying, well, that's, that's, that's good, that's nice, but, you know, here's what I think is best. I think this is, you need to do this. But how many knows? That's what we do every time we refuse to obey what God tells us to do. We're saying, God, <laughs> I know that you've said that, but, you know, I believe this is better. That's what we're doing, right? We're saying, God, no, I think I know best in, in this situation. So do you see this morning how that is a particularly pernicious sort of pride that can operate in our life because it masquerades as humility, right? Oh, no, no, that's, that I don't think so, God. It masquerades as humility when in reality we're saying to God, I know that I should trust in you because you're, after all, you're Yahweh. You're the great I am. You're the eternal God, the transcendent creator of heaven and earth. You have all power and all authority. And so I know that I ought to trust in you. Um, and yet, I'm going to trust in myself this time. I'm going to trust in myself to know what is best. And of course, the great irony of that is that we know better than to trust ourselves, don't we? Moses knew that. Moses knew that's what got him in trouble in the first place, was trusting in himself. Moses knew that he was not capable of doing what God had called him to do because he had failed so miserably the time before, which is why he objects in the first place. Yet when God says, no, Moses, I will be with you, and I promise that I will deliver Israel out of Egypt. 
But you go and you speak to them and you tell them, I will be with you. You trust in me and I will supernaturally compensate for your human limitations. Moses says what? No thanks. I'd rather trust in what I think is best. Please send somebody else. That would be, that would be better off. But listen, but God's not angry with Moses. I've got to wrap this up. God is not angry with Moses in the, in the sense that, that he's angry with Moses because Moses is doing something bad that deserves some kind of punishment. Again, that's how we get angry, right? We get angry at somebody for doing something we think, uh, you know, you deserve uh, reprimand or, or punishment. God's, God's not angry with Moses in the sense that Moses was doing something bad that deserved God to punish him. And I think that God is angry with Moses because Moses' refusal was preventing God from doing something good in Moses' life. It was like God was saying, Moses, <laughs> you're... You're not getting it. I know that you're not able. I know that you failed miserably before. I, I know that you're not eloquent. I know all of these things, but you're not getting it. Moses, I will be with you. I want to use you for my glory. So he's not angry in the sense that he's He's wanting to punish Moses. He's angry because he wants to bless Moses. He wants to use Moses. He is saying, Moses, if you'll just listen to me, I want to use you. I want to demonstrate my glory and my power in your life. And you just keep focusing on yourself. You just keep looking at yourself and saying, well, I failed before and I'm, I'll probably fail again. And I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not smart enough. They're not going to believe me. God is angry with Moses because Moses is saying, saying, I don't want to. I don't want to. And God's saying, would you just be quiet and let me bless you <laughs> and let me use you and let me send you because Moses I know what I'm doing, all right? And if you'll just trust in me, and if you'll just rest in me, then I can do in your life what you cannot do for yourself. Moses, this is, this is not about you. It's about me, and it's about my grace. And it, I know that you can't do it. So he's, he's angry because he wants to bless Moses. And, you know, we get hung up in the same way so many times. We convince ourselves that God can't, that God won't bless us, God won't use us because of this, something in our past, some hang-up we've got, something we've done, something in our personality. But, God, I can't sing. I can't do this. God, I don't know how to. I don't. And God's saying, none of that matters. If you'll just trust in me... I'll be with you, and I'll use you for my glory. Isn't he a good God? Amen. Isn't he a wonderful heavenly father that he wants to demonstrate his glory and his power 
in, in our life. Not that we would receive the notoriety, but that he would receive uh, the glory. We had a wonderful Sunday school class this morning. Jimmy Evans was talking about, I think, this very same thing. He was saying, I wrote this down. It might not be an exact quote, but he said, don't let the devil, um, don't let the devil convince you that it's about you. It's not about you. It's about God's grace and God's, and that's, that's why God is angry with Moses. He's saying, Moses, it's not about you. It's about me. And, it, and if you'll trust in me, then I'll bless you and I'll use you. I'll demonstrate my power in your life. I'll use you to lead my people out of, out of Israel if you'll, just, if you'll just learn to trust in me. I know it's not about you, Moses. It's about me. Interestingly enough, let me close with this. He tells Moses at the very end, he says, and so, so Aaron's going to go with you. Again, this is not punishment. God's not saying, I'm going to punish you by making your brother go with you. Although some might say that was punishment, right? Oh, my brother. I got to take my brother with me. No. It's not punishment. God's saying, okay, okay, listen, I just want, I just want to use you. And so there's, there's Aaron. Take Aaron with you. And I'll be with you and him. And I'll use you both for, for my glory, right? And so he says, okay, so there's Aaron. Take Aaron with you. And then he says, and, and Moses, take that staff with which you'll do the signs that I promised you. Now, what's the significance of the staff? That's another message. I could preach a whole other message on that, like I said about the fiery bush, right? What's the significance of the staff? The staff is a reminder and, and this is what we miss sometimes. This, the staff is a reminder to Moses. It's not about me. <laughs> it's about God. It's about God's power. God is the one who called me. God is the one who will do it. If I will trust in him, the staff is a reminder to Moses. It's about God. And it's about his power and his authority. And you know, later... In the book of Exodus, the staff um, would become a symbol of the cross, right? Where the serpents are going through the camp and biting the, um, biting the Israelites. So God says, okay, take the staff, put a, um, a serpent around it and hold it up and everybody who looks at the staff will be saved, right? I think the staff is a symbol of the cross, right? It's a reminder to us that every time we look at the cross, we can say, it's not about me. I didn't, I didn't earn this. I don't deserve this. It's not about my past. It's not about anything I've done in the past. It's not about where I'm at right now. It's not about whether I've succeeded or failed. It's all about what Jesus Christ has done for me, amen, on the cross. I don't, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it either. None of us. Uh, Moses didn't deserve it. That's what he was struggling with. Not me, Lord. Take somebody else. Use somebody, somebody who's better, better qualified. And God says, no, Moses. Listen, I want to bless you. I want to use you. And take that staff because I, I want you to remember that it's not about you. It's about me and how I want to bless you. And you, Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Mike, would you come to the piano? Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. You know what each one of us need. You know those, God, that are here today that need a revelation, God, of your grace and your power. 
that will be sufficient, God, to help them overcome their reluctance, the reluctance that they feel this morning, whether it's a reluctance to surrender their life to you and make that decision to follow you or whether it's a reluctance to take steps of faith and to be obedient to you, Lord, concerning whatever it is that you've told them to do. Father, we pray that you'd give us the faith that is necessary this morning. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.